You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. In every generation, God raises up someone, a spiritual leader, if you will, for his people. In John's day, it was John himself. In our generation, it was Billy Graham. And if you ever attended a Billy Graham crusade, or even now through the, the legacy of Billy Graham through his family members, and if you were ever to be up front when they invite and you go up front, you know what they give you? The Gospel of John that's contained in this booklet entitled Living in Christ. Now, <laughs> I don't by any stretch of the imagination come anywhere close to Billy Graham's shepherding of God's people. But for decades, when folks have asked, well, I want to read the Bible. Where do I start? You know what I've told them? The Gospel of John. Why? Because it's incredible, first of all, to read a book that was written by one of Jesus' very best friends who was there for all of Jesus' ministry. These, These are eyewitness accounts. And in the days of the early church, John was known as, and maybe not just one of, but maybe the best known spiritual leaders. You see, by the time of John's death, he was the last living eyewitness. Now, in addition to the gospel, he also wrote letters that bear his name, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Out of the four gospels, John writes about 90% unique material that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't share. Furthermore, of the 12 disciples, John was one of an inner circle of three who had access to Jesus more than anyone else. And we've been studying the gospel of John for the better part of this year. Everything has been leading up to this storyline nearing the end, not only of the book, but of Jesus' earthly life that is going to culminate at the cross. However, we won't finish the Gospel of John until next spring. When we get to the crucifixion and resurrection as a part of Palm Sunday and Easter. But it's the cross that John is preparing us for that Jesus dies on to demonstrate his love for us. So the portrait that John has for us today is Jesus as our king. Now, the Bible gives lots of different uh, metaphors for the Lord Jesus. Today, it's about Jesus as king. That's how John presents him. So we're going to pick back up in John chapter 19, and we're going to look at three things regarding Jesus as our king. Number one, our king is humble. Here's John 19. Then Pilate, all right, I got two words out before I stop. In this story, there are religious leaders and political leaders coming together against a common enemy, Jesus. Pilate is the Roman governor that's been assigned to this part of the Roman Empire, this little area of of Judah and the surrounding region. Pilate took Jesus 
and had him flogged. Remember, he's already been arrested. He's gone through a night of trials. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They, they clothed him in a purple robe that signifies royalty. It's all in mocking Jesus' claim to kingship. And they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate is a politician caught between loyalties. He's got the religious leaders on one side who want Jesus dead, and he has to answer to the Roman leaders, the state, if you will, that are over him. And Pilate wants all of this resolved as quickly as possible to, to stave off a riot. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, to the crowd, here is the man. First thing to focus on is the humility of Jesus. Think of this right now in heaven. Among the saints there, is there any pride or arrogance or haughtiness? No. There is on earth because it arrived with Satan and the demons. The Bible says in places like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that Satan had pride in his heart. That was his problem. And as a result, he warred against God. Here are the religious and political leaders with pride in their heart, and they too are warring against God. Guess who will win? And you and I have been brought up to think that pride is a virtue. In Proverbs 6, there's a list of things that God hates. Number one on the list, haughty eyes. That's looking down on others out of a sense of pride. And today, oh, we are encouraged to be loud and proud, and that's the problem. All of our problems begin with pride. Well, how do we know that Jesus is humble? Well, first, he came down. CEOs, politicians, for the most part, want more money, more power, not less money, less power. We live in a world where everyone is trying to go up. And Jesus is our God who came down. He's gone from a throne to a manger. He's gone from being worshipped by angels to working a carpenter's job. He's gone from judging the world to being judged by the world. That is incredible humility. That he has come down to be with us, to be like us. And here he is being judged. Yet who is the real judge? Well, Jesus is. He already told us in John 5 that the Father has granted all judgment to the Son. And Jesus is humble enough to endure all of that. The second thing we learn about our King Jesus is that our King is God. 
Next verse. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. For every action, there is a reaction. Some people love Jesus. Some people hated Jesus. And whenever a crowd or mob comes together, someone initiates a slogan and instigates the crowd to chant that slogan. We do it all the time, political events, sporting events, military camps. But here, the slogan that the religious leaders put forth was crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, the religious leaders wanted Jesus crucified, but they had no authority to put anyone to death by crucifixion. That was only in the hands of the Roman government. Only they could carry out that sentence. Only they could grant such a request. (laughs) That's why the religious leaders are working with the Roman leaders. The Jewish leaders insisted. We have a law. (laughs) Oh, now they're going to quote the Bible. And let me say this. People who know the Bible are dangerous if they don't know the Lord Jesus. Do these guys know the Bible? Oh, absolutely. They've memorized large portions of it. Do they know Jesus? No. And he's standing right before them, and they have no idea who he is. But the whole point of the Bible is to reveal to us Jesus. Back in John 5, Jesus is having an argument with the religious leaders, and he says this. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus saying, the Bible is all about me, him. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is saying is this. You don't know your Bible. Because you've not yet understood who it's all about. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. According to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. This is their way of saying Jesus thinks he's God. He's saying he's equal with God the Father, that he's of the same essence and has the same attributes as the Father. The issue for all time and all generations is this, is Jesus God? See, when all is said and done, the real reason they are putting Jesus to death while he's on trial, while they want to crucify him, is because he claims, he says he is God. And they're probably thinking of something like Leviticus 24, 16, that says this, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Blasphemy is when a person says that they are God when in fact they are not God. And if they say they are God, they are to be put to death. How are they to be put to death according to that verse? By stoning. 
How are they wanting to put him to death? <laughs> Crucify him. They're not even obeying the very verse they're quoting. He says he is God. Is that true or false? That's the issue. There are different answers regarding Jesus depending upon who you ask. Jehovah Witnesses claim that Jesus said he, never said he was God. Well, that's wrong. The Mormons say he is the half-brother of Lucifer and his death on the cross made no atonement for our sin completely possible. Well, that's wrong. Unitarians say that he is one among many ways. Christian scientists say that he is not God. Buddhists believe that Jesus was only an enlightened teacher. Islam says that Jesus was a mere prophet, far inferior to their major prophet, Muhammad. New Age says that Jesus was a spiritual guru, but definitely not God. The point is, all the cults and all the other religions say Jesus is not the only God. Only Christians believe that God there is one God in three persons, and God the Son is Jesus Christ, that Jesus and God are the same, that we only go to heaven through Jesus. You see, my job is to present to you Jesus. Your job is to make a decision about who you think he is. Well, the story continues. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Now, why would Pilate be afraid? Well, Pilate is under tremendous pressure. First, the leader of the Roman Empire was an uh, unstable and dangerous man who was worshipped as a god. In addition, this is taking place during the Passover. It's one of three major holidays for the Jewish people that was required that every able-bodied male Jew to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. But they wouldn't come alone. They'd come with their families. So now, all of a sudden, at Passover, the city, the capital city of Jerusalem has swelled to hundreds of thousands of more people. This sets up a greater possibility of insurrection. Because now there is an added percentage of, of zealots, nationalists, who don't like the Romans, who don't like that the Romans are in control of their country, they're ready to start a revolt. Pilate's aware of all of this. He goes back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Do you realize, Jesus, that I'm a very important person? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. <laughs> you know what, Pilate? Your authority was delegated from me. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. There are two men here face to face. Pilate is gripped by fear. Jesus is ruled by faith. 
It looks like Pilate is the free one, but he's not. Jesus is actually the free one because Jesus is walking in the will of God. Pilate is fighting the will of God. That's why he's tormented, anxious, fearful. Pilate's primary concern is winning. Jesus' primary concern is worshiping. Pilate wants it all his way. Jesus wants it the Father's way. There is an addition to the storyline from Matthew 27, 19, where God has already placed in Pilate's wife's heart something about this situation. She had a dream that Jesus was actually a good man, an innocent man. And what they were doing was a bad thing. James 4.17 says, if anyone knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, that's sin for that person. If you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that's sin. Pilate knows the right thing to do and he doesn't do it because he's torn between kingdoms. We all are between this kingdom and heavenly kingdom for us. The third thing that we learn about our king is that our king is rejected. He's received by some, rejected by others. Next verse, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, this is part of that unholy alliance. The religious leaders and the political leaders, they hate each other. Do the Jewish people care about Rome? No. But they're going to use the Roman authorities to their advantage to do evil. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. So he takes his seat as judge to judge the judge of the universe. You know, we do this all the time. Some professors at universities, Hollywood elites, ordinary people who want to do life their way and not God's way, there is no shortage of critics against Christianity. It was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Now capture the magnitude of this. They have just done the very thing they are condemning Jesus for, blasphemy. They're saying that Caesar is above God. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. All of this is happening in the capital city of Jerusalem. Not far removed from the temple. 
which is supposed to be the connecting point between God and, and humanity. And here, the true temple is the presence of Jesus. He is the holy place. He is the presence of God on earth. And it's Passover season. It's the celebration of liberation by God. Back in Exodus, the story, the powerful nation of Egypt. Now in Jesus' day, it's the powerful nation of Rome. The ruler of Egypt was Pharaoh, who was worshipped as a god. The ruler of Rome was Caesar, who was worshipped as a god. What did the real god do to Pharaoh? He crushed him to show that he is the real god. And now here they are at Passover, 1,200 years later, saying, you know what? We're kind of rejecting that real God who delivered us. God delivered them in Exodus by the shedding of blood of a substitutionary lamb, one without spot, blemish, flaw, foreshadowing the sinlessness of Jesus. By faith, they would consider that lamb, that innocent, unblemished lamb to have their sins transferred onto. They would slaughter that animal and paint the doorposts of their homes in the blood of that lamb. And then death literally passed over those homes who by faith publicly declared they were God's people. It was a public demonstration of faith in the forgiveness that God could bring. And let me say this, your faith is a public matter. It is not a private matter. God walking on the earth was a public matter. God being crucified was a public matter. God rising from death and appearing to crowds upwards of 500 is a public matter. And Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And I assure you, that will be a public matter. They would have their faith be public by the blood of the Lamb that instituted that very first Passover. And then that remembrance was celebrated annually. And the whole reason they are rushing to murder Jesus now is so they don't miss out on that holiday. And it just shows that you can be so busy doing religious things that you miss God. Sadly, that happens far too often for too many of us, the season that we're about to enter into. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. As it prepares us for Christmas. We can be too busy doing religious things that we miss God. And here is Jesus. John 1.29, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All they were waiting for is being fulfilled in Jesus and they miss it. Don't just come to church and miss Jesus. Don't just sing songs and miss Jesus. Don't just take communion and miss Jesus. Don't just celebrate Christmas and miss Jesus. Don't just celebrate Easter and miss Jesus. By saying that Caesar is king, they are denying the God of the Bible. 
And all this transpi- transpired at noon. If you caught that, just looked like a throwaway phrase in there. This was at noon that this took place. Here's a possible connection. The Passover meal was to be eaten at night. So the slaughter of the lamb would have to have uh, been done hours before because there's lots to prepare, lots, of, you know, you had to cook. There was, there was a lot of things to be done. At this point, they are literally preparing their lamb for slaughter as they are preparing the lamb of God for slaughter as well. Well, the Bible is good news. So where is the good news? The good news is Jesus. The good news is always about Jesus. So let me give you some good news. Jesus, our king, is so good that he works for good in spite of evil. Everything that is happening in this story is evil, but Jesus is going to work out good. The Bible tells us that God works for the good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, but it doesn't tell us when. God will work out good, but we're not told when. You may not see God work out evil for good in this life. But you will in the life to come. So if you're suffering, if your reputation has been harmed, if you've been taken advantage of or rejected, just know this. God works out evil for good. God is so good that he is bigger than evil. In addition, when you suffer, your king identifies with you. Here, King Jesus, in these last hours, suffers relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. He understands. The Bible says in the New Testament book of Hebrews, we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. That means whatever you're going through, you can go to Jesus because he doesn't say, oh, sorry, I had no idea what that's like. Instead, Jesus says, I know and have experienced exactly what you're going through. Let me take your hand and walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been there. I'll walk it with you. In this moment, What is Pilate thinking about? (laughs) He's thinking about Pilate. What is Jesus thinking about? He's thinking about you. Pilate is deciding what he thinks is best for him. Jesus is deciding to do what's best for us. He dies for our sin. He dies so that we can be forgiven. And here's what's so amazing. Why would our God go through all of this? Such great lengths and and expense. Because God is loving and God is relational. Most of our relationships are we want something from someone. We want to have them as benefit in our life. Does Jesus need us for anything? 
No. Do we benefit him? No. I know I'm not going to stand before him and hear, thank you, Paul. I couldn't have done it without you. The angels have a gift for you because you rock. Jesus doesn't need me. I don't bring benefit to him. Why in the world does he want a relationship with me? Because he's loving and he's good. That's what the Apostle Paul calls the mystery of the gospel. Gospel, by the way, is Greek for good news. It's a total mystery. But it's because Jesus is really loving. Isn't it amazing that your God would go to such great lengths to have a relationship with you to forgive your sin? So I want to invite you to respond. Everybody's got to make a decision about Jesus. Maybe you already, you made that decision a long time ago. But maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you haven't truly stepped into and said, you know, I want him in my life. I need to surrender. I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus to take me, sins and all, and save me and forgive me. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect from that moment on. Far from it. You're going to keep needing him. We're always going to need him as our Savior. But you step in to now a life with him leading you. You know, we are also going to invite you to partner with us in, in, in giving. Tithes and offering, that's part of worshiping Jesus. We put responses after the sermon because we hear the word of God and then we respond. And so also, even now, prepare your heart for taking the Lord's Supper because we want to remember what Jesus did for us. How he took the bread, and that is going to remind us of his body broken. And the cup reminding us of his shed blood. If you believe in Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, this is going to be for you. In addition, part of our response is to sing. Whether it's all of us singing together or it's one person singing over us, it's all to the glory of God. My question for you is, who is your king? We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.